me see the whites of her eyes. Isn't the Lord gracious to us? He's very good. This is what I want you to do. Because some of you, see, I know you've got bitterness in your heart against somebody in here, right? <laughs> I'm just joking with you, people. It's okay. It's all right. What I want you to do is I want you to get up and I want you to tell five people how much, how excited you are to see them this morning. Will you do that for me? Five people. Yes, and you. You guys are having way too much fun this morning. I went over to see the ladies yesterday. They wondered if I was lost, and I said, no, I'm not lost. I just want to make sure y'all are doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so, uh, so anyway, they seem to be having a great time. A couple of weeks ago, this is what we ask you to do. Number one, we ask you to pray. Number two, we ask you to play. Super Bowl Sunday, that Sunday. Yet all these men that were sitting on the, on the uh, sidelines, they were on the sidelines in these jerseys and these pads, and not one of those guys wanted to be sitting on the sideline. They wanted to be in the game. Amen? There's lots of opportunities to be in the game of what God is doing here. We want you to be in the game. And so if you are not using your talents and your gifts uh, and your calling and exercising and being part of what God's doing, please let us know because we will find a spot for you. There are multiple places to be involved in what God is doing. Get in the game, Steve. Get in the game. Get in the game. Um, oh, some of you guys are scared to death. You never, have, you never know what may come out of my mouth. Why, why do we gather like this? Why do we gather in a place like this on a Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, 9.30? Why do we gather together as believers and followers of Christ? Why do we do that? What's the significance? Y'all know I'm getting old and I can't hear well and I can't see well. So why do we gather in a place like this on a Sunday morning? What's the significance of it? To encourage one another, to worship one another, to read the God's word. What else? Anything else? To give thanks, to fellowship. I mean, there's multiple reasons. Our focus here is not what happens up on this stage. Our focus is Jesus and the cross. May, nothing, may, may we put aside everything else. It's so important for us. I spent a week talking to people, wrestling and struggling. I can't solve your problems. Some of them, I can solve some of your problems. Yes, I can solve. But let me tell you where your hope is. Your hope is in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Nothing else. We live in a world that is lost, that is struggling, that is broken, and they are looking for hope. People are looking for hope all around us. And we want to be able to talk about that today. Um, because there are some people that are looking for those only God moments. You know, you can, you can be in a better financial position by making more money. 
But that financial position is not going to carry you to heaven, people. And it's not going to bring peace. I know a lot of successful people in this world that are lost and broken and that are hurting. Money does not solve your problems. It may help you out a little bit, you know, prolong things for a little bit of while. But it doesn't solve our problems. Jesus, Jesus is our hope. So let's turn. Let's talk about Joseph a little bit. Genesis 39. Turn in your Bibles, if you would. You know, when I, while you're turning to Genesis 39, we're going to pick up where Brian left off last week. But just a little side note, you know, when I go back and I think about the stories of my life, I think about the things that I've experienced. There's good stories, there's bad stories, there's funny stories, and there's not so funny stories. There's some stories that I'm proud of and some stories that I'm not so proud of. But to be honest, there's some really some stories I'd just rather forget, and you never know anything about those stories. But the reality is that the life, the narrative of our story is still being penned, amen? And so... Instead of just spending so much time focusing on the past and trying to change those stories of the past, what if we were to spend an awful lot of time up front thinking about the decisions and choices that we were making instead of looking back with all the feelings and regrets that some of us do? How many of us look back and you look at that moment and there's feelings and regrets? Anybody? Y'all can raise your hands. I know every one of us in here have those times. If not, you're lying or you're just not thinking at this moment. For instance... This may hit some of you hard. Maybe things at home aren't the best. Stress, work, everything in general. There's some tensions at home, and you know it. Your spouse knows it, and you guys are at each, at each other, and you're just, not, you're just not connecting. You don't seem to be communicating well. There's tensions every time you walk in the door. And uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like your spouse hears what you're saying yet. On the other hand, there's somebody at work that you seem to you have a good time talking to. They seem to understand you. They seem to get you. And I know that there's that moment in time when you think about, yes, I committed to death through part, but listen, this thing just ain't working out. And all of a sudden, you begin to play the tapes in your head about the what ifs of divorce, the pluses and the minuses, and you know what life would be like if. You may even say something like this, you know, people get divorced all the, all the time, and what's really the big deal? God will forgive me. It'll be okay. But divorce doesn't solve your problems, people. On the other hand, you got another couple in the same situation dealing with the same stresses, the tensions. They contemplate divorce. They, they've thought about it. It's been there. But instead of even going down that road, they talk, and they, they think, you know, there's got to be a better way. They seek out some counsel from somebody at church. This is a church that we talk about struggles. This is a church we talk about pains. Any marriage has ever been through difficult times? You can raise your hands. It's okay. Yes, there's multiple people. You will walk through times of difficulty in your marriage. Two people walking together at some point in time. There's going to be controversy. There's going to be tension. Don't tell me there's not. I've experienced it. I know exactly what it's like. Meredith can tell you stories when I've been a jerk, and I can tell you stories when she's been a jerk. But we've made it. We've walked through those times not because we've always liked one another, but because we've been committed to Jesus and because we've been committed to our faith and to Jesus and, our, and to each other. We know what it's like to go and talk to somebody about struggles instead of just throwing in the towel. We know what it's like to hold on to a commitment to Jesus and to one another and believing that divorce isn't an option, even at that moment of crisis when it seems like it is by far the easiest of options. But don't miss this, guys. Every one of us are going to come to a place that, that um, one day we're going to look back 
And what you may have thought at that point in time, that tension was convenient at what might have felt the best and what others around you might have encouraged you to do, you may realize later on the line, down the line, that it wasn't the best option at all. You hear what I'm telling you? At all. But like it or not, all of us are writing the narrative of our story. All of us are pinning the words of what one day will be told about our lives. We have the ability to make decisions today concerning how we will respond not only to the past, but how we will, how we will navigate the waters, the future choices, the decisions that we are faced with. And having said that, we want to pick up the story of Joseph today in chapter 39. Brian finished up last week with us recognizing that, that Joseph had been betrayed by his brothers. He was sold as a slave, and he ended up in Egypt. He was purchased as a slave by a man by the name of Potiphar, who happened to be captain of, of Pharaoh's guard. And here is Joseph, betrayed by his brothers. His parents thought he was dead. The situation at hand is the fact that everything surrounding Joseph looked like all hope was lost. Everything was lost, no hope at all. And I don't want you to miss this throughout this whole series that we're in, is that don't underestimate the fact of the, of the, of that God is at work accomplishing his purposes in everything that goes on. I don't want you to forget that. Whatever situation you may be facing right now, whatever difficult or struggle that you may be enduring, that you may be walking through, I don't want you to lose the fact that God is at work accomplishing his purposes, even though it may seem as that God is far, far away. And there are some of you today that you feel that God is far, far away. There are some of you here today that are walking in the midst of bitterness and you feel like God has abandoned you. And I want you to know that nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. And so we pick up the story today in Genesis chapter 39, and this is what we read. When Joseph was taken to Egypt as a slave by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard of Pot, uh, uh, for Potiphar. Potiphar was captain of the guard for, um, um, for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. Underline that. That's really important. We're going to read that several times today. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything that he did, and he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and said and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. There it is again. The Lord was with him, giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned from the day from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household with Joseph for Joseph's sake. And all of his household and affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. In other words, here's Joseph in a place of hopelessness and discouragement. And what would have seemed like this up until this time, man, where is God? <laughs> What I want you to see is what it says up front in there in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. There are some of you that feel like God's abandoned you, and I want you to know that the Lord's not abandoning you, but he's with you. Amen? Sometimes you need to tell yourself, God, I know that you're with me. He's not abandoned. God, I know that you're with me. And he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. If there was anyone looking back that would have been able to make a case for, for being angry and being bitter, about how you've been mistreated and how you've been betrayed by family up until this time, it would have been Joseph. If anybody would have had an excuse for walking away and say, I quit, I'm done, I don't want to do this any longer, it would have been Joseph. 
Yet in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the disappointment, in spite of being betrayed, Joseph remained faithful. No whining, no excuses, no belly aching. Joseph held on to the providence of God and God's sovereignty in spite of what was taking place. And on a side note, let me just say this right here. Again, I want to remind you, for those of you that may feel that God has abandoned you, nothing could be further from the truth. But why should we be surprised in feeling that way? Because isn't that one of the tactics of the devil? I've heard multitude of people say over the past few weeks, I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like I'm all, I'm isolated from people. And that is a tactic from the devil himself. When you get to do, when you went to walking through those times, man, listen, it's not the time to run from people. It's the time to run to people. It's not the time to run from God. It's the time to run to God. Amen? It says in verse 3, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. Then I want you to write this down and make note. God's favor on Joseph's life was recognized by other people. The Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph and Potiphar recognized it. To me, this is so powerful. Joseph's success that's being talked about here wasn't a result of his wisdom. It wasn't a result of his intellect, his worth ethic. It wasn't because he had earned something, but the Lord's favor was a result of God's providence and plan. But Joseph, don't miss this, Joseph positioned himself for God's faithfulness, for God's favor because of his faithfulness. I once read this, God's favor can be defined as demonstrated delight. It is the tangible evidence of the approval of God. This is what the book of Isaiah says. This is what the Lord said in Isaiah 66. I will bless those who have a humble and contrite heart who's tremble, who tremble after my word. In other words, to the person that recognizes their sin, that recognizes who they are and the significance of, of God's love. And they walk humbly, recognizing that God is the one who rescues. Second, Second Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other words, the Bible teaches us that God seeks out those who love him, that seek after his commands and seek after the heart of the Lord. In the Psalms, in Psalms 37.3, it says, the Lord is the one who directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. This doesn't mean that every person that is prosperous or healthy has the favor of God, nor does it mean that the, that the Lord favors, that the one that the Lord favors never will experience difficulties. But when those times of difficulties and stresses and testings come, as believers and followers of Christ, we can be confident that nothing happens apart from God's providence and his care. That God is involved in all of that. We talked about that. And because Potiphar could see that God was with Joseph, he, he could see that because he witnessed his character. He witnessed his integrity, the integrity of this young man, and he trusted Joseph. And make note of this also, others benefit from God's favor. Others benefited from God's favor on Joseph's life. Look at what he goes on to say in verses 4 through 6. This pleased Potiphar, and as soon as he made Joseph his personal attendant, he put him in charge of his entire household. And everything that he owned from that day forward, Joseph was put in charge of his matter's household and property. And the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all the household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administration, responsibility over everything that he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. I love this. This little side note, except for what kind of food he, would eat, he was to eat. 
So here's Potiphar having purchased Joseph, a slave. He takes him home, and then as he spends time with him, he recognizes there's something different about this guy. I mean, there's something different about his demeanor. There's something different about how he lived. There was something different about the way he treated people. There was something different about the way he made decisions. There was something different about the way he treated his master's resources, how he handled his master's affair. And the Bible says that God was with him. And as a result, Potiphar placed him in charge of everything that he had. And the only thing that he had to worry about was what was for supper. For those of us who claim to be followers of Christ, that have faith in God, man, we need to recognize that our faith in God isn't just on display on Sunday mornings. Our faith in God, the faith that we claim to have is on, on display 24-7 at home, in the workplace, out on the ball fields, how we steward the resources, our work ethic, how we treat other people, how we handle conflicts, how do we respond when we feel like we've been betrayed? When we live as salt and light in this world, this place of darkness, where there is, there is, no, there is no taste, there is no sweetness, when, when, we, when we live as God's called us to live, we impact the lives of others, and those blessings fall into the lives of other people. Amen? It's a sort of an off-the-side point-again question. Do others benefit from your faithfulness to God? Do others experience the overflow of God's grace and mercy? Are other people around you encouraged and at peace because of, because of your commitment to Jesus? Or is there conflict? I was in a conversation with somebody the other day. I don't remember who it was. But I said, you know, as an employee, what employee wouldn't want to live, especially one that, was, that, that loved Jesus. What, what employee wouldn't want to have a good work ethic and do everything that he could to make sure that his boss's resources were taken care of? What boss that had people working up underneath him that, that, that he oversaw them would not want to make sure that he did everything possible to make sure that he took care of his employees and treated them right? I, I have this picture of, of Potiphar kicked back at home and thinking to himself, man, am I blessed to have him working with us. Do people feel that way about you? Or are you a source of conflict everywhere you go? Are you like a tornado whenever you enter in the door? There was favor there was favor with Joseph, and Potiphar was the recipient of that favor. As a pagan, he was the recipient. And God blessed everything that he had because of Joseph and his faithfulness. But even though Joseph sought to do what was right, there was a storm that was brewing. If you know the, if you know the story, there was a testing that was coming. And we find it there in the end of verse 6. Joseph was a handsome and well-built young man. Steve Whitaker, stand up. Stand up for a second. That right there is an example of a handsome, well-built young man right there. Well, at least portion of it. They're the handsome and young. Now, he's not young like he used to be, okay? But trouble was a-brewing. Trouble was a-brewing. And even though Joseph was faithful and trustworthy, Potiphar's wife, she wasn't. And it said in Potiphar's wife there in verse 7, she began to look at him lustfully. I don't need to explain that. I think you know what's going on. 
So here's Joseph. He's being faithful. He's seeking to do what's right, only to find himself in what seems to be a no-win situation. And Potiphar's wife said, listen, come and sleep with me. She didn't ask him, but she demanded. We see in verse 8, Joseph said, no, I will not go. No. Theologians believe that Joseph was about 20 years old about this time. And here's his wife, his boss's wife, putting a putting move on him. There wasn't any flirting. There wasn't any beating around the bush. This was straightforward and to the point. What she asked him to do was calculated, and it was very intentional. It wasn't a, just a one-and-done um, seduction, but it was a continual pressure that she put on him. Don't ever think that the devil's pursuit to destroy you isn't calculated that it's happenstance, but it's very calculated and very intentional. He knows exactly where to, to, where to trip you up. He knows exactly where your areas of weakness are. So you got this young man. He has to be thinking in his mind, going through all the what-ifs, the what-ifs that are crossing his mind. Well, would anybody ever find out? Surely she could keep her mouth shut. But Joseph, in the middle of all that, he had to make a choice which is no different than any other time before when he had to make choices up until this point. He had to be thinking to himself, okay, if I give into this, the truth would eventually surface. Let me tell you what, the truth will eventually surface. I've always been told what's done in darkness will always come to light. So you may keep it hid for a while, but let me tell you what, it will come to light at some point. It will. Those things that you do in the dark that you think nobody knows, that your spouse knows, your, you know, your, your boyfriend knows, your girlfriend knows, your friends know, your parents know, at some point in time it will come to light. If not, if it didn't come to light at that point in time, that would, he would have to carry out the guilt of his sin. If Joseph gave into her request, what if the truth did service? Certainly he would be killed. On the other hand, if he refused her advances, she could come up with a story, which we're going to see that she does, and she would still have him killed. Then again, I guess he could have ran, but he was a slave in a foreign company, so, a country, so where in the world would he have gotten then? It wouldn't have got him any place. But Joseph said no. In spite of all the, as he was thinking, Joseph still refused, he refused her request. And over the next few passages, we see some of the reasons that Joseph refused. Number one, he knew that it was a sin against his master, against Potiphar. Number two, it was a sin against his conscience because Joseph knew what Potiphar's wife was asking was wrong. He knew it was wrong. And the third, it was a sin against God. Look at what Joseph said in verse eight. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He was talking about Potiphar. He has held back nothing from me except you, 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 his Potiphar's wife, because you are his wife. I think it's important to note here that in this interaction, Joseph wasn't the only one that was making a choice, but Potiphar's wife was as well. Truth be told, this probably wasn't the first time she had approached or she had tried to seduce another man. I have my reasons of why that is. But Joseph happens to be the target at this moment. But to give in to her advances would mean not only would he sin against Potiphar, not only would he sin against himself and his conscience, but it would also be a sin against God. And there it goes on to say, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against the Lord. In other words, taking into consideration everything that I know to be true my relationship with God, my relationship with your husband, my relationship with myself and my conscience. How in the world could I betray? How in the world could I live in unfaithfulness and do what you're asking 
of me. But Joseph's commitment to the Lord, it didn't slow down Potiphar's wife at all. Look at what it says in verse 10. It says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. (laughs) Boy, that just paints a picture. Here she comes. I'm going the opposite direction. If you go on to receive, if you go on to read, you'll see that the pursuit, it goes on and it escalates until one day she turns around and she accused, she accused Joseph of trying to take advantage her, of take advantage of her. And that's just a nice way of putting it. She concocted this story to accuse Joseph. She told the other slaves in the house about it. And she waited for Potiphar to get home so she could tell him and continue the accusations. And look at what it says in verse 17. It says, then she told him her story. He told Potiphar her story. That Hebrew slave that you've brought into the house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside and he left his cloak with me. The Bible talks about the wickedness and the deceitfulness of the human heart. And here's an incredible description of that right here. She made up this story accusing Joseph of something that he didn't do. When she told Potiphar the story, I don't know what you would have done. Potiphar throws him in jail. Why in the world he didn't kill him? He had the power to, had the authority to, but he didn't do that. But he throws him in prison. And don't miss this. It's the same prison where the king's prisoners were held. And you'll see the importance of that detail a little bit later on in the story, talking about God's providence. But here we are reading this story, and you're saying, you have to be saying to yourself, you got to be kidding me. I mean, first of all, it was his brothers that betrayed him and sold him as a slave. But even in the faithfulness and devotion to the Lord, now it's, here, now it's, now it's Potiphar's wife. What in the world is going on? Where is God in the middle of all this? If, if God favored him, if God loved him, if the Lord was with him, where is God in the middle of this story? It's not fair. Life isn't fair all the time, is it? Joseph didn't do anything. God, why would you allow all this to take place? But even though it may have appeared that God had abandoned him, nothing could be further from the truth. And it says in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. There's so much more that we can talk about in the story. We're going to be talking about it in the coming weeks ahead. But eventually, Joseph would be elevated to second in control of all of Egypt, and he would have the power and authority to do as he wanted, even to punish and take out revenge on those who had betrayed him in the past, those who had wronged him, which, which we, he didn't do that. But where we are today, I just want to leave you with just a couple of closing thoughts. A couple of things that I want you just to sort of sit on, I want you to soak on, I want you to remember that I think are really important. Number one, just like Joseph, we're going to encounter situations, good and bad, where we have the opportunity, where we have to have the opportunity to exercise our faith in God. Years ago, God gave me the saying, our faith isn't faith until it's tested. And every one, of us, we will, every one of us will have opportunities to exercise the faith that we claim to have as followers of Christ. Each day, we have to make choices and decisions. What will be the driving force behind those choices and decisions? Will it be fairness? Will it be immediate gratification? Will it be financial benefit? What feels the best? Acceptance by others? Desire to live? Or will it be a desire to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord? 
We just have to decide what kind of story one day eventually that we want to be able to tell. Because at some point in time, all of us are going to be sitting around the table and we're going to be telling stories to our grandkids and our great-grandkids. But in everything that Joseph faced, in the difficulties, in the unfair treatment, in the betrayal, Joseph still had to make a choice of how, how he's going to respond. And it's the same with us. It's the same with us. I want you to understand this. We can't go back and undo the past, but we can look to the future and consider the choices that we have to make here on out. We just have to figure out what kind of story that we one day want to tell. The second thing that I want you to write down, which I think is important, is this. Joseph lived with confidence that God was with him. Here's this guy walking through everything that he had walked through, experiencing all the difficulties that he did, the betrayals, the wrongs, things that were unfair being accused. And yet Joseph continued to live with confidence that God was with him, and so can we. When those difficulties come, which they are going to come, when the devil seems to throw a wrench in our life, which it, he will, we can remind ourselves that God is with us and he's not abandoned us and we can be confident of that. There are those times that we want to throw our hands up. There are those times that we want to blame or have excuses for what's going on. And I know that they're going to, you're going to experience those times. But instead of giving up and running away, we have the ability to settle in and buckle in, baby, and say, God, I believe and I have confidence that you're with me here in this time. You're with me in the middle of this. I've already said it before, but God is at work accomplishing his purposes. See, see, we've got this story of Joseph, but we've got multiple other stories that we have the ability to be able to go back and read Solomon and David and Moses and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these other people inside of the scriptures that we can see. And we, have, we can see not only the story, but we can see the hand of God because we can read about it. We've got the beginning of the story and the ending of the story. Yet the older I get... I don't have to as much rely on the stories inside of this paper as I do my own stories. Because see, I've got stories in my own life where I've seen the hand of God. I've experienced the hand of God. I've walked with God. I know what it's like to be in pain. I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to hold on. I know what it's like to feel like when I want to walk away, throw in the towel and say, I quit. I'm done with this. I've been there. I know what it's like to go through times of difficulty and you feel like God is, where are you in the midst of all of this? I know what it's, what it's like to deal with, with 12 years of infertility and saying, God, is, I mean, is this because of something that I've done wrong? Are you punishing me for something? I've been there in that place. I know what it's like to have an accident as a four-year-old and somebody say, you'll never walk again. I've been there. I've experienced that. I know what it's like to have a sibling that has Down syndrome and you watch and you see and you walk through those times of difficulty. I've been there. I've seen that. I know what it's like to plant a church and feel like in the midst of that. God, where are you? I'm just trying to follow you. I'm just trying to be obedient. Where are you in the midst of this? I have seen the hand of God in the midst of all of that. And my story is still being written. But see, I don't have to take you back to the pages of Scripture because I've seen God at work in my own personal life. And you know what an encouragement that is with me? And the more you walk with him and the more that you talk with him and the more that you engage with the Father and you spend time with him, 
The older that you get, you will discover and recognize and come to your own stories. You'll be able to look back on those places where you encountered the Lord in the situations. And man is an encouragement. See, in the journey, it's not just about being redeemed and about being saved and about being rescued through our faith, through what Jesus did. But this life that we're on is also about God's transforming power, changing us into the likeness of Christ, teaching us to become more dependent and more like Christ day by day by day. And God does that sometimes, not by taking us up on the mountain, but sometimes letting us walk through the valley. We just need to know to trust him and be confident that he's with us. And see what's at stake in the midst of all of this? What's at stake? What's at stake if we don't hold on to our faith? What's at stake if we don't realize and are confident that God is with us? What's at stake in the middle of all of this? Everything. Because eventually, the faith that we say that we had will have to be exercised. And we'll have to realize that this life isn't just about us, but that God's got a plan and that God's working out that plan He's working out that plan, and we're involved in that plan. What's at stake? Everything. See, being a follower of Jesus isn't just about what happens here on Sunday morning. Being a follower of Jesus is recognizing what Jesus has done for us, what he did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago, and the privilege we have of being a part of what he's doing and his mission, our mission take the gospel to the ends of the earth, not just to gather on a Sunday morning, which can be fun and exciting, but to be his hands and feet out into the world. And you know what happens when we spread out on Sunday mornings and we go into the world? Man, there should be businesses, there should be organizations, there should be places where we gather where there's a sense of peace and rest because the favor of God overflows. How about you? How's your relationship with the Lord? Is there a sense of confidence? The others around you have a sense of peace because of God's favor on your life, because you're seeking after him. You've humbled yourself and you've poured yourself out and you're focused on seeking to serve the Lord. Or do those people, when they see you come and go, oh, good Lord, here she comes. Get out of the way. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Father, for the intent of your word. It's clear that what seems beneficial, what feels good, what looks the best isn't necessarily what's right. There are some that are at the place right now of making some really important decisions. This is what I pray. That in those decisions that we would seek you, that we would be courageous in knowing that you will lead us in what's right. You will give the courage to do what's right and what's best. 
Help us not just to think about the moments, but help us to think about the future. Help us not just to think about what in the temporary, but help us to think about the eternal. Help us as we live. And God, as we do so, to live so with confidence, believing that you are with us in whatever situation that we may face, that we can remember the story of Joseph. And that even in the midst of that, when he had been betrayed by those that were closest to him, we can hold on to that, that God was at work accomplishing his plan and his purpose. And that we didn't have to be afraid, but we knew we as believers know the end of the story because we've already read the end of the book. Help us to look forward, not to look back. And in looking ahead, may we look with faithfulness and assurance. And in those times when we get to that place that we don't understand and we're wrestling, help us to hold on and help us not just to hold on, help us to reach out. Help us to ask for others to be involved in our lives so that they can encourage us and hold us accountable. So that in the long run, Jesus, we can live out a legacy of faith, faithfulness, because there's so much at stake. Thank you for the reading of your word today as we walk out these doors. God, may we be reminded this week to live in such a way that we are your salt and your light, that we are ambassadors to this world that is hurting, that is longing, that is living in darkness, searching for answers. And the answers are not inside the walls of a building. The answer is in Jesus. Help us to present Jesus wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.